0: Game Changer Episode 18, Game-Inspired Tactics to Engage Employees.
1: Welcome to Game Changer, a series on using gamification to engage employees. Join us as industry experts discuss one of the hottest trends in business today using game thinking to engage employees in work, wellness, recruiting, and more. This is a special podcast series by the producers of the top rated podcast, The Engaging Leader. And now, with nearly 20 years of experience helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees at Fortune 500 companies and other organizations, here's your host, Jesse Leahy.
0: Welcome to the show, Game Changers. This is the show for CEOs, HR executives, and other business leaders to learn about internal gamification. Over the course of this series, you'll hear examples and pitfalls, discover how to assess when it's an appropriate strategy and learn to evaluate gamification partners and game design ideas. I am Jesse Leahy, and today we're going to take a step back and take a broader look across the field of employee gamification. We're going to look at some of my favorite examples of success stories in gamification as well as some pitfalls. And we're going to look at when you strip all the hype away and all the whole big business that is already building up all around this still emerging trend of gamification. What is underneath all of that? What's the kernel of potential that's really there that you can leverage with employees if you have something that you really need to engage them in or if you just want to engage them in their work in general? Whether your budget is big or small, what can you do with this opportunity that we? Uh, that has this buzzword of gamification, but what I like to call as game inspired tactics to engage employees. Let's start by taking us all back in time to the summer that I turned 15. There are two things that I remember, two feelings that I remember very clearly about that summer. The first is related to a number 730. Seven minutes and 30 seconds was the requirement that my high school football team had for us to be able to run a mile. Uh, if we couldn't run a mile in that faster than seven and a half minutes, we could still be on the football team, but we were less likely to have a starting position, and we had to come to practice an hour early every day and do extra running exercises. So it was something we really thought was important to be able to achieve. Now, I am not a naturally fast runner. Seven and a half minutes is, is by no means a, a, an impressive time, but it's pretty impressive to me. If I were just to go out and run a mile at any given point in my life, it would take me 10 or 11 minutes. So I had to really train hard to even come close to seven and a half minutes. Every morning that summer, I woke up early met up with my next-door buddy, and we went and did some uh, training exercises. We ran, then we went over to his house and lifted weights, and then we fired up his Nintendo game system and played video games. We played Russian Attack, we played Mike Tyson Knockout, and other games. And before we knew it, it was dinner time, and I had to be home. The whole day just flew by in a heartbeat, and suddenly it was next morning, we were waking up, meeting to run and lift weights and play video games and do it all over again. I didn't look forward to the running at all. I didn't enjoy running, but I certainly looked forward to playing video games together. And so the thought of what was to come, the just sort of getting sucked into that whole other other world and the excitement that came from video games made my eyes pop open at the right time, or at least in response to my alarm clock, and get outside in time to meet up with my buddy and go do some hard work. Also, of course, there was this end goal of hitting that seven and a half minute requirement for the football team. So that certainly was part of it too. But the day-to-day thing that got me going was this opportunity to play video games. Suddenly, the summer was over. It was time to go to football practice and be tested to run the mile in front of the of our coaches and so we lined up I ran the mile as fast as I could gave it all I had and my time was 7 minutes 36 seconds I missed it by 6 seconds and so the first feeling that I so clear, clearly remember from the summer that I turned 15 was utter disappointment utter Frustration at missing that goal that I'd worked toward all summer, which was immediately followed up by a second, equally painful memory, in fact, probably more powerful memory, and that was a sense of wasted time. Wow, I just felt like where had the summer gone? Not only had I spent so much of the summer working toward a goal that I missed where I really spent most of my time that summer was playing video games. And I didn't have all those childhood summertime memories that I was used to having from doing activities, from, from being outside and going places and doing things with friends that summer. That was probably, I believe that was the last summer I ever just had off. With After that, I always had a summertime job. So that was my last time, and I felt like I, my last summer free, I felt like I had squandered it. And I quickly, I, I basically identified that feeling with video games. And ever since, it's not that I've never played video games. Uh, there were times in in college and even for a few first few months out of college that I still uh, played video games um, quite a bit. But for the most part, I very much manage the time I would allow for video games and even television, actually. I just identified those activities as not in the real world. I wanted to be out in the wild, as it were. I wanted to be involved in the real world. Now, fast forward 20 years to when I was in my mid-30s and was struggling to maintain my fitness, or actually just to be fit. I had been for almost two decades overweight by this point well overweight so i was working on getting in shape i was worried about long term health consequences and i just wanted to look and feel better and i set some goals to be fit and actually struggled for years putting in a lot of effort with diet and exercise and not making a not getting sustained results but one thing Helped me a couple decades later, and and it did. It was some people in my life, kind of pulling me along, helping me. But also, there was a connection with that totally absorbing experience that video games brought from that summer that I turned fifteen, and the power of games to carry me along toward a worthy objective doing some things I didn't necessarily want to do, but because of the engagement that the games brought, getting me to the end objective anyway, getting me to do things that deep down I really did want to do. And those game-inspired tactics were a big reason why I started making improvements, started actually making long-term habit changes. Um, There were different applications that I used Different, completely non-techie things, too, but that were game-inspired, that brought in uh, the principles that really drive video games. the, The friendly competition, the immediate feedback, the fun, and that experience of flow. And then fast forward just a few more years to this spring, I had the opportunity to be timed in running a mile. And was able to chalk up a totally different number. Remember, I was trying to go for seven and a half minutes at 15. I actually came in at seven minutes and 36 seconds. This spring, I was able to come in at six minutes and 51 seconds. So it was actually faster than I ever recorded in high school. And now, of course, I'm uh, just turned 40 this summer. So I was that to me was a big, a very happy day, a, a, ver- a sense of accomplishment. And it, it actually took, it wasn't quick. It took me five years of building up to that. But I definitely credit game-inspired tactics and the engagement that brought to accomplish that. Now, you contrast that with what we see in the workforce today. We're seeing that 75% of employees, according to Gallup, are not engaged. In fact, are what you would call actively disengaged in their work. So that effectively means half of everybody out there hates their jobs. Uh, 75% either hate their jobs or are just not engaged in them. And there's only 20 to 25% that really are fully engaged in their work. They are making a contribution and they are feeling a sense of satisfaction in their job and with their team and in the work that they do. It's so a big contrast between the average worker in America and around the world and their experience in their jobs on the one hand. And on the other hand, my buddy and I sitting there all day long, completely absorbed in our video game, uh, very much engaged in that. What does that look like if you take the, those game-inspired tactics and actually capture the power of full engagement? Here's a quick story about one of the favorite examples that I have come across. This started up in 2009. And by 2009, AIDS had already killed about 30 million people, or close to the equivalent of the state of California. And for 15 years, many of the top scientists in the world have been trying to decipher a crystal structure for one of the AIDS-causing viruses, which is known as some kind of monkey virus. And if they could decipher this crystal structure, it would give them a clue for actually curing this disease. But for 15 years, they had been unable to accomplish that. So in 2009, the University of Washington's Center for Game Science created a game. They collaborated with their biochemistry department, and and they created a game called Foldit, which was an online puzzle video game About protein folded, and it uses a a game-like puzzle interface, and people all over the world could play and compete in figuring out various protein structures that would fit the criteria that the researchers were looking for. Now, I gotta say, this is the kind of video game that I wouldn't be caught dead playing. I mean, you you really couldn't pay me to play this game. It just sounds completely boring, but. 240,000 people registered for this game and played it. And even though scientists had worked for 15 years without solving it, how long do you suppose that it took these 240,000 people to solve the protein structure for the monkey virus? Six months? No. Try 10 days. 10 days versus 15 years. That, Game Changers is the power of full engagement. And those are people, as far as I know, not rewarded, not paid, definitely not paid, but I don't even know that if a prize was awarded. It was just the pleasure that certain types of game players get from solving puzzles and, of course, working toward a worthy purpose. There's a video, a short video, that you could check out by one of the co-creators of Foldit named Seth Cooper on YouTube. Uh, it's called... The Power of Games to Motivate Action, Loyalty, and Strategy. That was recorded in March of 2013. I actually first heard about this example of Foldit from an April 2013 post called Top 10 Social Gamification Examples That Will Literally Save the World. It's a great post. I'll put a link to that in our show notes as well as to the YouTube article. Uh, but that blog post is uh, written by, and I'm going to um, botch this guy's name pronunciation, I'm sure, uh, Yukai Chow. But I'll put uh, we'll put that in the show notes for you. Now that's an example of gamification that didn't involve employees, and it was more of a crowdsourcing type of example. But I think it just shows the power of something that isn't necessarily appealing to everybody. Not everybody's gonna think that's fun. But you're creating a gamified application based around a certain kind of fun that's going to appeal to certain people, that's going to get move mountains, if you will, that's going to get some very important things done. Now here's another of my favorite examples, and this really is exactly connected to employee gamification, a very more down-to-earth Uh, focused application and that is Kiosk and we just talked to Josh Stevens from Kiosk in episode 16 and so I won't tell the whole story I definitely encourage you to go back and check out Game Changer episode 16 but why I think this is such an inspiring story is that it didn't start as gamification gamification is what made Kiosk successful it started inside Google Back in 2004, when Adam Boswell was vice president of product management and he started a division called Google Health, and he had a vision, but after he just didn't quite get enough momentum going and didn't get enough corporate support, and so in 2007, he left Google, started Kiosk, formally, officially launched it in June of 2008, but he basically had the same vision, which was provide a user's health data from multiple sources all in one place with clear and compelling data that shows them how their choices about diet and health affect their bodies. So instead of having some of your data at your doctor's office and in your medical records there and some at the pharmacist and some in your employer's health plan uh, and some with your maybe your cardiologist or whatever, you could have it all in one place. And then Kiosk would also send you, if you chose, reminders based on your individual condition. So for example, you may get a text message or an email that says, don't forget to take your blood pressure medication today or go exercise. And I'm not sure that everybody would think that's particularly exciting. And maybe it even sounds scary to have one company have all of your health data. But they did get 40,000 people who signed up for it? So well, you know that's not too—that's nothing to sneeze at. But there was a big problem, and in 2009, the problem really just caught their attention, which was that hey, we have 40,000 registered users, but almost nobody comes back to our website week after week. So these are people they wanted to change, so they signed up for Kiosk but they couldn't get out of their established habits. They, their health just it wasn't a big enough priority. that They wanted to do it, but it wasn't uh, something that would be ingrained enough in them to actually come back to the website every week and get these reminders and read the long articles uh, that Kiosk was posting on their website. It was had a lot of similarities to WebMD, where let's say if you have cancer, you, there would be articles on the website that you could read and learn about cancer and how to manage how to best manage your condition so in 2010 they planned a major pivot and they revamped kiosk from top to bottom all around gamification and so they made changes such as, rather than having those articles that I just mentioned, they would provide small chunks of information and then quizzes. And they would they created 12-week programs that they would implement in employer groups, and they put together 60 quizzes for each 12-week program. They figured nobody's going to do more than 60 quizzes in 12 weeks. And in fact, people were... were quickly getting through 60 and asking for more. They were immediately engaged in this new way to uh, get the information about their health conditions. Secondly, in these 12-week programs, they would create teams of up to six people who were competing for rewards based on a combination of real-world activities like exercising or uh, eating healthy uh, and learning. So you could get some points or... uh, just by taking some of these quizzes, learning chunks of information and then taking a quiz about it. There was also a social networking element, it's kind of like a, a Facebook uh, status feed. And you could post, for example, hey, we went, I went for a, a lunchtime walk today, or I chose water instead of soda, and I could, you know my friends could say, "Hey, good job. Um, I could earn badges and rankings. And I had meaningful choices. I could choose easy tasks and get a few points or I could choose more challenging tasks and get uh, a lot more points. So it's not just, hey, my employer is putting on a challenge and I have to do it or I either say yes or no, I'm going to do this. Instead, there were several challenges available and I could choose the ones that seemed like a good fit for me. The results after they launched this in Around Thanksgiving 2010, were pretty darn impressive, especially in comparison to the non-engagement that they had uh, that they had to face reality regarding in 2009. Across all of their enrollees, now they ha- would have at least a third of them go online and post something every single week, and at most of their companies, it's usually more like 40 to 50 percent. Also, they when people sign up, they ask a pre-assessment, they ask a handful of questions. So, for example, do you use tobacco? How many servings of fruits and vegetables do you eat every day in an average day? Uh, what's your? How much do you weigh? You know, they kind of help you calculate your body mass index based on your height and weight. How much do you? How many minutes a day do you exercise, and how many days a week do you exercise? And then at the end of the twelve-week period, they would ask those same questions again. And they found some large increases. So for example, at Pfizer, which is one of their clients, they found that 45% of people were, used to be exercising at least 45 minutes a day, at least five days a week. By the end of the 12 weeks, that was up to 74%. That's pretty impressive. Almost three quarters of everybody is getting pretty decent exercise. The number of people eating at least five servings of fruits and vegetables doubled. That was now at 72%. And 95% of people said they would use it again. Now, across all their companies, they're getting numbers like about 85% finish the 12-week program and say they would do it again, which is is very exciting. And also at Pfizer, 82% said it improved their health. And then I think this is pretty cool. said it improved teamwork and collaboration. Now, this is a wellness program, and people are saying it improved teamwork and collaboration. I think that's a pretty interesting uh, point that engagement in the right areas produces more broad-based engagement and and with far-reaching benefits for the organization beyond just the specific Objectives like as in wellness in this situation. Kiosk, it, kiosk, is an example of a gamification solution that is it's a vertical solution. It's a fairly complete program, and it integrates with other uh, technology out there, such as um, Fitbit and and uh, I think it integrates with Nike Plus as well. But it, it basically, if you have if you're going to go tackle wellness. Kiosk is a great solution to consider, and there are other very good solutions too, but it's considered a vertical platform, whereas there are other gamification platforms such as Badgeville and Bunchball where a company might implement the program and they could use it across a number of different software platforms but there's also just small steps that a lot of companies can take. I think I think of Kiosk as being a fairly complete example of employee communication. But there's there's small steps too. For example, if you go out to JP Morgan's website when I last checked it out, I wouldn't say that they were their 401k offering was a complete gamified approach, but they had some small steps. That were obviously game-inspired tactics. They had some quizzes similar to what Kiosk does. So J.P. Morgan has quizzes uh, on the topic of 401k retirement benefits. They have a puzzle game on there, which is kind of a memory type game that will teach you some concepts. They also have some humorous videos, some short videos, essentially just trying to get across one main point But it does it in an effective way, and and you will remember the point. Uh, For example, one of them is based on, it's called The Biggest Saver, and it's this, a little bit, well not a little bit, it's definitely tongue-in-cheek, but I was going to say it's a little bit corny even, game show format, Um, but it doesn't take itself too seriously, and I think the humor works in it. So those are three small step examples that I think will be successful in engaging employees. And those are all, of course, technology-based. You have quizzes and puzzles and videos, but there's also examples out there of offline small steps that you could be taking, or, or non-techy examples of gamification. One of my colleagues is Catherine Smith, and one of her clients is DTE, a large electricity and energy company in the Detroit area, and they have a very pretty successful wellness program, and it has uh, its own. They've developed a a brand for it with a logo, and they've created this banner, this little flag that symbolizes the wellness program and I believe this is the second summer in a row now that where they've had a challenge out there to employees to uh, which they call the energy expedition and as they're basically saying, "Hey, as you go take your vacations this summer and you put these." energizing principles to life that we are teaching you in the wellness program, capture those moments uh, with a photo. And if we can accomplish certain things in those photos, we want to see you do this and do that in your photos, we'll reward you. And some of those rewards are just simply getting your photo put on a poster. Uh, It could be simple things like that. And I don't know about you, I'm not a rah-rah kind of guy. I'm I'm not a super hyped up, Kind of person, and so when I hear an idea like this, I, I wonder, is that really going to work? Are people really going to going to do it? But yeah, they really do. They they've been sending their photos in, and I think if you saw how the uh, pictures of how they did this, and I'll, we'll put this on the show notes too, so you can check it out. You'll see why people get excited about that. When I speak to audiences about gamification, I am definitely looking at it as simply one strategy among others that I look to in when I'm helping companies engage their employees. Gamification has some advantages over other types of strategies for engaging people, um, and it has some disadvantages too. And there are certain areas in which it works fine all by itself or in conjunction with some other tactics, and there's some where I just wouldn't really use it at all. I do like to explain to audiences why it is an area that is pretty exciting to me, even though I do think it's very much still emerging. And, and I don't. there's not as many solid success stories as I would like to see. I think it's still a maturing industry. Uh, as I've talked to a number of companies in the gamification industry, I'm surprised how, that they're... I should say I'm caught by surprise often that they're different than they were the last time I looked at them. Their product has changed significantly. Their pricing has changed significantly, for example. And so they're still figuring a lot of this out. But the basic concept of game-inspired tactics, I think, is a very solid one. And I think it's going to be around to stay, even as the hype eventually kind of fades and we just are left with a a more mature strategy. What I like about this, and it's difficult to see unless you can see it visually, and I've, I have a video that uh, available that explains this, and I'll put a link to that, but when you compare the traditional process that companies go through when they're trying to engage uh, a behavior change, for example, or if they're going to introduce a new program or they want to uh, influence employees to change what they're doing or to care about something. They're going to be working through different communication channels to move employees along a continuum that begins with creating awareness about what you want them to know or do and move them from awareness to understanding, from there to commitment, and finally to action and after action then you're going to be working on reinforcing those messages and and keeping them taking that action. Gamification changes all that up and it's pretty I think exciting. It still starts with awareness because you got to they got to even find out about the the game, for example. But then it jumps right into action where the traditional spect- spectrum went from awareness through four levels to get to action. With gamification you go right into action. And you think about the typical video game. When you when someone says, "Hey, try this video game." And so you sit down and you start playing it. You start at the newbie level as a beginner, and it's almost impossible to die. I mean, the game is so easy. Because they're just kind of helping you understand how the game is played and learn the steps. And so you basically are learning by doing. And then from there you go to understanding. And then the next step is actually habit. So you've been putting in an action so much and you're so engaged at this point that it becomes a habit. You're coming back every single day. And then you progress to the level of mastery where you really care a lot about what you're doing and you want to be the best and you want to be known as a master and maybe even help other people. So for the right types of topics, gamification can be very powerful. So how do I know when gamification is one of the right tactics to use for a business issue? And I still like the four questions that Kevin Werbeck asks when he helps people think through this problem. And this is out of his book, For the Win. And you can hear Kevin and I talk back on Game Changer Episode 1 when we went through the six D's of how to uh, design gamification. But the first of the four questions that Kevin encourages you to ask is around the topic of motivation. And I, this is how I ask that question. Are you amplifying motivations for behaviors that are already intrinsically valuable to people? Or are you just putting lipstick on a pig? In other words, if you're trying to create a game or try to make something fun that is just an ugly pig, that's just putting lipstick on a pig and you're not, it may work in the short term, but more than likely it's not going to work at all or it's only going to work for a short period or it's going to have unintended consequences. For example, you might have a game and people end up gaming the system or they might start um just pursuing the short-term rewards that you're after as opposed to pursuing really going after the long-term purpose behind the game. An example I like and I'm not there's many people that have been bringing this example up it's LiveOps. And LiveOps is a customer service company and their customer service reps are primarily work from home people so they might be part-timers or they might be stay-at-home moms or dads that have a re- or whatever reason that they they want to work out of their home but they're they're doing phone-based customer service and typically a customer service company that has a, runs a call center they care about things like having a short call time that you want to get those customers off the phone as soon as possible because uh, if if the long phone times means we have to hire more reps. And, but on the other hand, they also care about customer service. You can see if you aren't careful and you just gamify things like short call times that aren't really intrinsically motivating to the employee, then you're putting lipstick on a pig and you can cause situations where they are kicking practically kicking customers off the phone so that they can win the game, if you will, as opposed to actually caring about the long-term relationship with customers. And so LiveOps, I think they did a good job of analyzing what their employees, what their customer service reps really care about and saw that, hey, these people, they're doing part-time work from home, they would have a place of particular value on professional development on learning and development and getting better having opportunities to learn because that is one one shortcoming of working for yourself or freelancing or other opportunities to work from home is it may seem like fun at first but over time you get to where you're really not you may not be learning and advancing uh, unless you are unusual and you're proactively investing in that but most people have a hard time spending time and money their own time and money um, if an employer is not making that happen for them. So LiveOps put the gamification on the learning and development, and their reps were excited to advance through those levels. And what they found was that call times decreased and customer service uh, improved and profits improved. So the long-term business objectives were met, but what they did was they worked on the on gamifying in ways that amplified those intrinsic motivations, and most of the time the intrinsic motivations are going to be around uh, top around things like mastery and autonomy and purpose and relatedness, which of course are the four uh, concepts that Dan Pink talks about in the book Drive. He focuses primarily on three, but his his research actually uh, uncovered a, a fourth. He just didn't focus on relatedness as much. Now I mentioned autonomy as one of those primary motivations, and that leads into the second question, which is about meaningful choices. So are you giving people choice? Are they able to choose among activities that you're trying to motivate toward? And are those interesting? And that's If there's no choice, then they don't have autonomy. So that example of kiosks, people aren't. It's not just one challenge and everybody has to do it, or you do it. You're either in or out. You get to choose among challenges based on what's a good fit for you. So are you able to offer meaningful choices that with with interesting target activities? Number three is about structure. Can the behaviors be modeled through algorithms? Uh, one of the great things about gamification is, if you is if you design it right, the objectives, the things you're trying to motivate people to do, are pretty darn clear. You you do this, and these good things are going to happen. Uh, if you if what your the behaviors though that you are trying to motivate are not that straightforward that they couldn't be put into a computer program, for example, well then it's not a good candidate for gamification. For example, uh, an example that would not be a good candidate for gamification is uh, much of today was spent here in my office in in work creating a video and it would be difficult to ga- to gamify the process that we used to create a video. There was just a lot of Problem solving and creativity. uh, There, so those steps that we took were not a then B then C then D. There was uh, it was basically a more heuristic uh, process. So it it does not lend itself to an algorithm. On the other hand, another thing I did today was I uh, processed all the email in my inbox uh, this afternoon, and I used a game called The Email Game by the company Baden. And I actually have written a blog post about several of their email related products uh, because I've been so impressed with them. But it took basically just makes it fun for me to process my email. A lot of my emails are, are not algorithmic. I mean, I have to spend some time. Many of my emails require me to take certain actions and um, and, and solve problems and so forth. But my ru- the rule is if it's going to take me more than two minutes when I've during the time when I've designated as processing my email, then I shouldn't do it. Then I should just put it on my to-do list and, and do it during uh, that time. So my goal when I'm processing email is to just get through the inbox as fast as I can so I can respond to people quickly, um, and get out of that sort of processing mental mode, and and get back to creativity and problem solving mental mode. So that the steps to go through that, where you're just deciding, am I going to do? Is this something I need to take action on? Do I need to file it? Do I just is it a quick reply, or do I have to put it on my to do list, or do I need to delegate this? That is algorithmic, and so creating an email an email game to get me to actually get through my inbox instead of being stuck in it all day, is a great opportunity for gamification. So check out our show notes for a link to my blog post, Seven Tricks for Taming the Email Monster, and uh, it'll tell you about a few of those tools from Baden, along with some other tricks. And then the final of the four questions on whether gamification is right for your business issue is Potential Conflicts. Can you avoid duplication or tension with other motivational structures? An example of a conflict would be, let's say you are on a productivity kick and you are designing a game to motivate employees to work extra long hours and even work through the night uh, and, and just pull out all the stops to meet certain deadlines. And yet you are, let's say, in a production environment and that kind of activity would be pretty darn unsafe to be uh, not getting enough sleep around uh, heavy machinery and equipment. And so the engagement tactics that you're taking uh, with this productivity effort are in conflict with the safety practices uh, that are in place uh, from management. And so there's that tension there. On the other hand, you could be doing something that is pretty unnecessary um, a lot of times I see in with clients in clinical environments where they are adding incentives or other types of motivational tactics to try to get uh, patient care people to act in ways that are quite frankly what what just what their job is and those types of people. Tend to resent that because they went into medicine because they care about people, and so you need to look at other ways uh, to motivate them as far as other aspects of their job that um, maybe could be tweaked in ways that they would find attractive. Maybe um, improving the what the perceived fairness that they have, maybe improving the type of the, the security that they feel or by providing opportunities for more uh, relatedness to uh, appeal to that motivation, uh, that motive. All right, Game Changers, thanks for joining me with this episode to talk about game-inspired tactics to engage employees, to look at some examples and some pitfalls, and to look at four questions for determining whether gamification is a good fit for your employee engagement issue. Mentioned several things in our show notes and you can find those show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash GC18 as in Game Changer episode 18. If you enjoy this series, be sure to check out the weekly leadership podcast, Engaging Leader, where my guests and I share more ways to communicate, engage and lead with greater impact. Until next time, remember, life is short, so keep it fun. You can find
1: both Game Changer and Engaging Leader podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. To stay up on the latest news and trends in internal gamification, join the Game Changer group on LinkedIn. We'll automatically direct you to our LinkedIn group when you go to engagingleader.com group subscribe to our e-digest at engagingleader.com slash newsletter. When you do, we'll send you a free copy of Jesse's e-book, Eight Communication Tools for Leaders. You can also follow Jesse on Twitter, at Jesse Leahy, and like us at facebook.com slash engagingleader. Game Changer is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that helps mid-sized and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, and Peter McIsaac, who composed our theme music.